only to know, can you tell me what is what do you guess? How long will, will we speak? Okay, the, we are now on the air, uh, one hour. Welcome to the program, Charles Moskowitz, Monday through Friday, 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I want to thank, uh, I want to welcome aboard TECN TV, the Exceptional Conservative Network out of Washington, D.C. Ken McClanton, thank you very much. We are live, so you can call us and, and ask questions, make commentary. 617-396-4958. That number again is 617-396-4958. If you'd like to chat online, rumble.com slash Moskowitz. My guest is Dr. Rainer Zeidelman. He studied history and political science. Uh, he uh, is the author of many books of, of which have been translated into numerous languages. He's a sociologist, he's a businessman, he's a, an intellectual, Free uh, University of Berlin, Central Institute for Social Science Research. Uh, Dr. Zellman, thank you for joining me this afternoon. Thank you. Okay, so you have a new book coming out uh, in defense of capitalism. I wanna start there and then we'll go into uh, Hitler's National Socialism, your latest edition. But uh, you, you make the case for capitalism, which I think um, has been the cornerstone of German society, certainly post-World War II, um, and which I think was advanced very well by a German Prime Minister, Konrad Adenauer, who came up with this amazing synthesis between German labor unions and the capitalist system in such a way that they developed a symbiotic relationship that advanced the German economy to the point where Germany is one of the, is certainly the powerhouse of Europe, if not the world. So talk a little bit about your thesis with regard to the benefits of capitalism, since so many Americans seem to have forgotten this. Yes, and this is not only the problem in America. This is the reason why I wrote the book and why it is published in 30 languages, because in almost every country where I'm going. And last year I've been in 17 countries. This year I will be in all these 30 countries. In almost all countries, people forgot why they became so successful. I give you one example, Germany. You mentioned Germany. Yes, we became successful after World War II with Ludwig Erhard's free economy. But now in the last years, we go more and more in the direction of a planned economy. You see it with our crazy energy policy, as an example. Uh, first, we phased out nuclear power plants. Then we started to phase out coal power plants. We forbid fracking, but import fracking NNG from United States made us dependent on Russia. And now we wonder where's the energy. And this is the pro typical problems for a planned economy when uh, the government decides what to produce and how to produce. And in the United States, of course, you became the greatest nation on, on earth. Why? Because of capitalism. And you became successful because of capitalism. But now there are so many people, young people who even embrace socialism, but even people who maybe not, they, they will tell you, I'm not for socialism, like Bernie Sanders, for example. He's, he, he's By the way, he has also written a new book. It's not mm -hmm. out next week. The title will be uh, something against capitalism. Yes, and there are uh, there are many uh, people who forget why nations became successful. Even I give you another example. Maybe it comes to your surprise. Even in China, look, mm -hmm. China was such a poor country in 1958. 45 million people died in China as a result of Mao's Great Leap Forward, the biggest socialist experiment in history. Okay. Yes. Even 1981, 88% of people in China were in extreme poverty. Today it's less than 1%. But why happened? Because Deng Xiaoping in the beginning of the 80s introduced private property, started with pro-market reforms, and so China became successful. Be, not because of the state. I have a friend in, in Beijing University. He always repeats, we became not successful because of the state, but in spite of the state. This is what, what he explained to me. So, mm -hmm. and now they forget it and Xi Jinping goes back in the direction more state. And this happens in a lot of countries. Look, uh, Latin America, for example. Indeed. Uh, Brazil. Chile, Chile was so successful. Chile was 
the most economically successful country in Latin America, if you compare it with Argentina, or if you compare it, let's not speak about Venezuela, for example. And mm -hmm. now they voted for socialist. They forgot why they became yeah. successful. And this happens in the United States. This happens in Europe. This happens in Latin America. And so I see worldwide capitalism is under attack. This is the reason for my book. And and I'm glad that you've done it. I mean, a brief anecdote for me. I had a friend who did business in China back before uh, Xi Jinping. And he said that it was almost like the old America. It was like the Wild West. There was no government regulation. You could almost do whatever you want. You could create a business, expand a business. And, uh, you know, they were just starting to learn how to regulate. Whereas in this country, we've got so many layers of regulation now over business. A lot of that started in 1912. We could get into the history of how that happened. But it's become such a highly regulated economy that we really have forgotten the, the uh, basics of what made us who we are, the ability of people to rise up, uh, upwardly mobile, downwardly mobile, depending upon who you were, and, and all of those institutions. And you're right to note that uh, that younger people all over the world have forgotten why we are here, how we've gotten to this point. They, they seem to have accepted and internalized the idea that the government offers rights, the government gives you something as opposed to the capitalist idea, which is that rights come from God and that we, you know, we have this brief moment of sovereignty on earth where we can create ourselves and, and do something interesting. And uh, yeah, Latin America, I mean, Brazil, they just had a, an election, which I think was, was very, very suspect where they installed a communist narco-terrorist and uh, yeah, they, they threw out a very popular president. And uh, I don't want to talk about what's happened in this country. We'll leave that for another day. But the point I'm making here is that governments are being installed that are on the left that are not really either popular or that don't actually resonate with the best interests of the nations that they allegedly serve. Um, yeah. And, and may I add this? If, are, if you speak about Latin America, it's a perfect example. Look, um, Argentina was 100 years ago one of the wealthiest nation of in the world a lot of people don't know it but at this time there was a saying rich as an argentinian this was 100 years ago and then yep. they had such a slow down always uh, uh the gdp decreased there's no other country that had that had such a bad development over 100 years and it became all with this uh crazy uh, perilous politics where they told people you can get everything by the state. And if you, I, I've been uh, some months ago, I've been in Argentina, I've been in Brazil, I've been in Chile, I'm in Paraguay, Uruguay, everywhere. And now people in Argentina, they start to understand that the state is not the solution, but the problem. And even mm -hmm. some young people, I'm, I'm optimistic now for them. They have uh, Javier Millet, he runs for president there. He calls himself anarcho-capitalist. And I tell you maybe a funny story. I had their lecture with young people in Argentina. And, um, you know, they believe so much in the state. But young people start to understand. And sometimes you have to explain it in an easy way. There was, I had this lecture. And there was one young man sitting in the first row. To be honest, not really handsome. So I thought maybe he has no girlfriend. And I asked him, do you have a girlfriend? And he said, no, I don't have and then I asked him, but would you like to have a really pretty girlfriend? He said, oh, yeah, of course, I would like. And then I asked him, who do you expect who will bring you this pretty girlfriend? The government? The state? And he <laughs> laughed and said, no, I don't expect the government to bring me this pretty girlfriend. Then I asked him, but what do you think? Who's responsible for getting this pretty girlfriend? He said, yes, that's me. I said, yeah. exactly. It's not only with this pretty girlfriend. It's with money. It's with everything. Don't trust to the state. Trust on your own power, and it's it's your. So sometimes you have to speak in, in easy words to explain people, uh, so that they understand what it is about. Absolutely, you have to tell people, put it in their own language, and, and discuss it as a story. And I think you do a good job of explaining what happened in Argentina. It was, again, one of the nation's world's most um, exceptional economies, and it was brought into the the the, the bottom by uh, Juan Perón and his Peronistas, which basically had a strange hybrid of 
communism and and Nazism, I think. And uh, there's uh, many people in Argentina, not to get into a, a tangent, say that this present pope in Rome is a Peronista, but we can put that aside. Um, today you have a growing nationalist movement, I think, in, in Europe. And when I say nationalist, I mean that in the best sense. It combines elements of the old left. It combines young people. It combines people who simply want to restore the sovereignty of their country. Um, and that it seems to be coming popular, certainly in Eastern Europe, which is a part of the world that experienced communism and socialism directly and knows what it is, as opposed to some you know, dumb American kid who, who wants to call himself a, you know, with a T-shirt that says Che Guevara. You know, we're talking about people who lived it and who know it. And also Italy recently elected a uh, conservative right-leaning uh, prime minister. Um, what, what's going on? And, and Great Britain had Brexit. What's happening with that? Is there, is there a, a nationalist movement in Europe? And is that a healthy thing? Is that a good thing? I think it depends. If you speak about patriotism, and uh, this is, of course, a good thing. And maybe in Germany, we don't have enough from this healthy patriotism. But of course, there's also a nationalism that is harmful. For example, if it means more protectionism, as uh, you had here in the United States, mm. uh, I think protectionism is a bad idea. And it, uh, uh, free trade made, uh, on, on average, everything, every, everybody more uh, successful and uh, lead to more wealth worldwide, this uh, free trade. And so if you combine ideas like uh, nationalism and protectionism, so it, it depends what it means. But if you speak about Eastern Europe, I can give you one example. I think this year, last year, I was 10 times in Poland. So I'm very familiar with Poland. My next book is uh, also about uh, two countries, about Poland and Vietnam. Maybe later we can speak about Vietnam. Very interesting. Indeed. But let's speak about Poland. Poland was one of the poorest countries in Europe. They, they, uh, they were poorer than the Ukraine in socialist times. GDP per capita was half of Czech Republic. So they were really, really poor. Then they started in 1990 with economic reforms. I know the man who did it, Leszek Balcerowicz, I call him the Ronald Reagan of Poland or the magazine yeah. of, of Poland, what he did there. And what was he believed in Hayek and Mises in pro-market and capitalism. He right. started with his economic reforms on what happened now since 25 years. Poland is Europe's growth champion. If you come there in Poland, it's amazing. Oh, it's people yeah. understand it. They know it. We uh, For my book, I commissioned a poll. It's now we've done it in 34 countries about the image of capitalism. And uh, we asked them a lot of questions. We confronted them with 34 different questions to find out what they think about market economy, what they think about capitalism. And number one was Poland, where people embrace capitalism all over the world. Number one from all countries. So they understood it. Oh, it's a dynamic country with a huge energy and a lot of development and you know, when you when you basically allow the uh, what Adam Smith called the free hand of the market operate freely, you end up not only with a great growth of economy and opportunity, but it creates a certain spiritual excitement. I mean, there's like an energy of innovation and invention and imagination and and, and just growth across the board, which uh, is really when you go there, because I've been there recently myself and it's very infectious. And, and very dynamic. Uh, and there are other examples, I think, also in Eastern Europe, I think Hungary and Slovakia, apparently the Baltic states, that there is a growth in, uh, in, in this sort of thing. I mean, unfortunately, I think that Ukraine was having that before Russia started invading, but that's another subject. The thing but, is that- but, but, yeah. but even, sorry, even, even, let me give you this other example, even Vietnam, they call okay. themselves socialist or communist, but I guarantee you one thing, I was there often in, in Vietnam. Uh, it's easier to find Marxist here in Europe or in the United States than to find in to find in Vietnam. <laughs> they are yeah. very pro-capitalist, even in our survey. Capitalism here is a dirty word in Vietnam for for a lot of people. It's a, it, it sounds really good. And um, I, I was invited to different universities in Vietnam, 
And there was, for example, one workshop and the topic was, how can we improve image of rich people? That, that there are role models for us. Could you yes. think about American University with a workshop there in social science about how to improve image of rich people, of wealthy people? Never ever so. And so, but, and, and what a lot of people don't know, you know, first they had the war, then they had their planned economy. Uh, what, what was not destroyed by the war was destroyed by planned economy in Vietnam. Then they started in the end of the 80s, the so-called, they call it doi moi reforms. And this was the beginning, always the same recipe, private property, more market economy, and what you tell about the spirit. This is why Vietnam comes in my mind. This is what you see there, a spirit full of energy. And I admired always the United States in the 80s and 90s. It was not only the politics with Ron Reagan, who's for me the best president ever in the history of United States. But this was not only politics, it was the spirit. It was when companies like when Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, when they started, even when Arnold Schwarzenegger from Austria started with, with fitness, bodybuilding, yeah. everywhere. Practically invented it as, a, as an art form. Yes. With, this, uh, this with, was... with a pumping iron. It created a, an industry that spread all over the world. Yes. You know, I mean, Steve Jobs, I mean, those guys, they took technologies that were there, but they, they marketed them, they synthesized them, they got them into the public and created a revolution in this country, in the world, where you had suddenly people had the internet, they had uh, people got cell phone technology. Those things lifted the whole world. I mean, in a way, in the same way that oil lifted the world in the 1890s and 1880s, you know, these are new technologies that were brought to market by innovative people who knew how to husband capital and invested in such a way that could could spread it around. But uh, uh, Dr. Zeidelman, you have written a thesis on the very wealthy for your sociology work. And uh, I just want, want to ask you, why is it then that sometimes when you have people who have achieved that kind of wealth, they seem to be the ones who are often the major proponents of socialism for everybody else? I think this is only a minority. I know you speak about people like maybe George Soros or this kind of people. Yeah. But these are a very minority, I can guarantee you. I know so many rich people and they, they speak loud. So the others are silent. Most of the entrepreneurs. This is the problem. I, I, I tell you, the problem is not the left-leaning people here in this country and other countries. No, the problem is that the entrepreneurs that they are too silent and the only one who speak up is are like this left-leaning people i i met you know for example he's a great guy john mckay from whole food mm -hmm. mckay whole foods he also recommended oh, yeah. my, my book and as uh, steve forbes wrote very uh, positive sentence about my book but i met him and he uh, criticized, for example, Obamacare and all this stuff, and then there was oh, and he got he got in trouble for that. It a big trouble, a oh, big, yeah. really yeah. a shitstorm, and so and and he said he said yes, I wouldn't do it again, and I can understand it because uh, it's and and this is the this is the big problem. So the only people you can hear this is a minority. I I don't know whether you have it in the United States. In in, in Germany, we have the saying: there's a story, a dog bites. The postman is not a story for media, but um, postman by stock, this is a story. I don't right. know whether you are so. No, I think I've, I've heard this this metaphor. Yeah, and because it happens so rarely. And these yeah. billionaires who are for higher taxes, taxes higher, and maybe pro socialism even, this is for me a typical postman by stock story. So media are interested in this and they quote, if you see, it's always the same people. In a lot of cases, not always people who inherited their their um, their, their wealth and so. But I, I think it's a minority. No, the problem is the majority of entrepreneurs. I, and I'm convinced that the majority of entrepreneurs in the United States are pro-capitalist. But you can't hear them. This is a problem. This is the reason why I wrote this book in defense of capitalism. And I tell you one thing. I didn't yes. write it to convince anti-capitalists because I know they will not read the book. They prefer, they will buy Bernie Sanders' next book. They will buy Thomas Piketty's next book. 
They prefer to even to buy 35 books, why capitalism is evil, than only to touch one book, like my book. I see it if I post it on the internet, and then there are also left-wing people, oh, this is all shit, this is all crazy. Then I ask them only one question, have you read the book? No, never, ever. I wouldn't oh, they read wouldn't it. dare. Yeah, they wouldn't deign even look, lift it up, their hand would, would wither. No, yes, that's, and, that's, and, and that's this so is the reason. And so people ask me, but why do you write a book when, when you don't think you can convince them? No, I wrote it for people like you, maybe uh, hopefully a lot of our in our audience now, people who are, are pro-free market, pro-capitalism, to provide them with all the arguments, with all the figures. Uh, you, you see, for my book, I used, I read 350 scientific books and papers. You can see it in the bibliography. It's with 900 footnotes, but don't be afraid. It's very easy to understand, very easy written. And not everyone has the opportunity to read all the 350 books and to do this research that I did. But you get all the arguments. Give you an example. Chapter one is about the topic, capitalism is to blame for hunger and poverty. And here's the, here's the, are the true facts. Before mm -hmm. capitalism, 200 years ago, 90% of the worldwide population lived in extreme poverty, 90%, 9-0. Today, it's less than 10%. So this is capitalism. And half of this reduction happened over the last decades. It was even in, the, in 1980, it was something like more than 40%. Today, it's less than 10%. This is what capitalism happened. So if people tell you capitalism is to blame for hunger and poverty, it's a lie. And, but you have to know the facts. Or another mm -hmm. thing, uh, they, they blame capitalism for environmental destruction and climate change. I give the facts in the book. I compare, for example, East and West Germany. Same country, same language, same history, only different economic systems. So you can compare it. In mm -hmm. East Germany, the CO2 emissions adjusted to GDP were three times higher in socialist East Germany than in capitalist West Germany, three times higher. Some other air pollution were 10 times higher there. So these are the facts. And you can find a lot of facts. By the way, when I mention East West Germany, uh, I can recommend who's interested. I produced a film with a free to choose network. The film is called Life Behind the Berlin Wall. You can Google it. Uh, you can get it free on YouTube. And uh, I'm, I'm proud because at Freedom Fest in Las Vegas this year, I were there, we got an award for best short movie. And this is only 17 minutes. You should forward this to young people who don't know so much about history. And mm -hmm. I have a funny thing. I, may I ask you a question? What do you think how long you had to wait in East Germany to get a car? What do you oh, guess? It would have been like waiting in line at McDonald's in, in Moscow during the Soviet times. No, it's it. not like this. It it's was worse. it was longer. What do you guess? Yeah. Tell me how many weeks, months, or I even years? Probably, I would probably say it took about six months. So you say six months. I tell you the facts, and you find it with the, the uh, uh, reference in my book. It was at least twelve and a half year, maximum seventeen years. Oh my God. The shortest time was twelve it's, and a half years. And know, what did you, one, get then? you didn't get a Mercedes or a BMW like in Germany. You, you got the worst car in the world. The so-called crappy, right. but you had to wait between 12 and a half and 70 years. Of course, you could buy used one, but then you had to pay higher price than for a new one. Well, I mean, that that alone should tell you everything you need to know. And, you know, you make this great analogy between East and West Germany. And, and, and you know, you, in that case, you have two countries that have the pretty much the exact same culture, the exact same population, same language, same background. And yet one was extremely poor and one was extremely wealthy. And we could take a look at the difference between North and South Korea in the same way. Yes. Or, or the difference between the United States and Mexico or Japan and, and China. You know, there are there are just, you know, we, we can look at where communism was in ascendancy versus where there's freedom and and uh you know individual rights and and uh capital. And uh, and you will see that difference. And you know, you mentioned earlier, you know, some of these great inventors like like uh, Jobs and Gates, they created capital out of nothing, and they employed tens of thousands of people at all levels of the economy, from the very rich to working blue collar working people. And and that wouldn't have happened had they not been able to do what they did, and they didn't have the freedom to create what they created. So. 
you know, you you know, the, there's no question that what you're talking about is easy to prove. It's it's evidence is mountainous, and yet, as you say, you get people who are ideological. I even would call it a religion, frankly. Is it that, a religion? That, Absolutely. Yeah. It's a political religion. So, And it's hard, of course, I know everyone who's a believer, it's a little bit hard to discuss with him, even if he's from a cult, maybe. I don't know. I never had a discussion with someone from Scientology, but I think it's not very easy to convince him. No. Uh, so, no. But with anti-capitalists, I think it's, it's the same. It's, it's, it's hard to convince them. But sometimes there's an opportunity. Let's talk about me. When I was young, I, I have to tell you, I was a Maoist when I was uh, okay. 30 years old, like 10 years from 13 to 23. So and later I changed my opinion. So it's it's no hope left for no one. Oh, well, you had intellect, you, you developed intellectually and, and that's uh, something that happens, but it's not a lot of people go through their entire life just espousing this kind of nonsense and not really understanding what it is that they're doing. Now, you mentioned that West Germany, for example, in Germany had a better environmental record as a capitalist country. And I think that's absolutely true because in a free market, people care about their environment and they want to invest in a cleaner environment. But you also mentioned that in a sense, the Germans seem to have gone a little bit overboard with the uh, you know, the, this fear of a global warming and the uh, the Greta Thunberg type movement, which I think is very left. And uh, to the degree that they, uh, that, you know, people are having to chop wood to get warm in the winter. There's not enough uh, energy. Uh, what What's what's happened there? I mean, is that is that the predominant culture now in Germany? I tell you something what I guarantee no one knows of the, not you and not to people who listen to us. We have now a book in Germany, what is a great success on the bestseller list. Unfortunately, it's not my book about capitalism, but it's another book with the title, The End of Capitalism. Mm -hmm. And the author is very famous. You can see her every week in every talk show. And I tell you exactly what she says. She says, first, we have to abolish capitalism. We have to introduce a planned economy. She called it a planned economy. Then she says, first, we should forbid to drive a car. It should be forbidden. We should forbid to fly also, the next thing. And you should. You are only allowed to eat 2,500 calories a day. She even tells exactly how many carbohydrates, protein, and so you can tell. She, she said we should have ration cards, again, a, a, a ration card system. And we should stop building new houses. You, you have to know we have a big problem with we have not enough uh, houses there in Germany because a, a lot of refugees came there. Right, but she said, stop building new houses. You have enough. You should redistribute what you have more evenly because some people have bigger house and some smaller house. And if you redistribute it so that everyone has the same, she says this will make people happy because we know that equality makes people happy. And this is not uh, absolutely outsider where you can say it's stupid, no one hears. No, she's bestseller author and she's in every talk show. So you see, I have to admit I'm come from Germany. Of course, it's not everyone. There are also people like me, but in the majority, pe people in Germany are confused. And it started also in the time of Angela Merkel. You see what, what crazy things they did with their energy policy. Now they do the same with the automotive industry. And this is very dangerous because, you know, automotive industry is very important for Germany. Our Mercedes, our BMW, our Volkswagen. And in the past, it was this way that the companies decided what cars to produce. In the end, it was the consumers who decided because mm -hmm. this is capitalism, democracy. Consumers decide what products they want. Now they changed it. And they have from Brussels, they have new regulation to forbid uh, that, that only uh, electric vehicle will be allowed and that the companies are told from the government what to produce. And they want that all should be with electric vehicles, but we don't have the infrastructure. You have no possibility to load them. And so right, this is right. like this is always like people who are ideology driven. If you tell them the facts and the, the, re, the reality doesn't fit to the facts, then they will tell you bad luck for reality if they don't fit to our ideology. 
And, and also, I think it should be noted that sometimes there are even worse <clears throat> environmental consequences to some of this technology. I mean, the, uh, the electric cars, I mean, those batteries are very toxic and it requires the uh, mining of deep of certain rare metals that is very uh, dangerous environmentally to do. And I remember several years ago when they tried to phase out the old fashioned light bulb that was invented by Thomas Edison. And that's actually very clean with these, these uh, new fangled, you know, Freon type bulbs. I mean, they were, if that broke, I mean, it would create a catastrophe. I mean, so, you know, sometimes stuff that is promoted as good for the environment ain't so good. And, uh, you know, I think that most people care about such matters as global warming, but it has to be put in the context of continuing to allow the industrial era to grow. And, you know, you have to develop technologies over time that can mitigate it and uh, and not have this kind of like fear mongering, you know, sky is falling sort of a thing. Uh, absolutely, I agree. And I tell you one thing, if you have concerns about climate change, I understand, but don't expect that this problem will be solved by a planned economy. Planned economy solved not one single problem in a hundred years. Why should be the first problem to be solved? No, it will make our problems worse if you have a, there a planned economy. And this is a problem that we, we have to tell young children. You mentioned this movement from Greta Thunberg. What is their recipe? She says only two things. First, you have to be panicked. So I think, what is this device? You think you're, you're sitting in the cinema and there's a fire and there's someone. No, every, everyone panic. So, yes, it will not help right. the situation. Panic doesn't help. And the other thing she says, abolish capitalism. And I can guarantee you this helped never. We had 24 different experiments in the last 100 years with anti-capitalist systems. And they failed without every, every one of them, yeah. And the environmental conditions in Soviet Union, for example, were the worst in the world, the worst ever that happened everywhere. And so uh, I think, yes, we should care about this problems. But even capitalism solved, for example, look at the quality of the water or the quality of the air. It's much better now than it was, for example, 30 or 40 years ago. I, I, I can recommend you the book. I don't know whether you know it from Stephen Pinker, Enlightenment Now. He has okay. a lot of facts that environment in a lot of things, uh, air became better and, uh, and uh, um, uh, um, uh, water became cleaner and all this because of capitalism. So capitalism can solve all of these problems. A planned economy will make these problems worse. Right. And also, by the way, it just I'm no, I'm no scientist. I don't claim to be. But carbon dioxide actually improves plant life and it helps. You know, that's why like when a greenhouse, they pump it in so that the plants can grow better. So maybe that it may have had a positive effect on the growth of uh, of greenery. I don't know. And, and that, of course, then mitigates the atmosphere by cooling the areas where you have a lot more plants. Okay, my guest is Rainer Zittelman. Capitalism is not the problem, but the solution. His books, The Power of Capitalism and Hitler's National Socialism. Rainer, I want to ask you about National Socialism. Now, when you take away, and not that we should, of course, the horrible question of anti-Semitism and the Nazi Holocaust, which is something that's been discussed extensively. I've written a few books related to that. But when you remove that factor, for the sake of argument, what you have is a socialist ideology, uh, I would contend. And if you look at the basic tenets of the Nazi movement and their their document, uh, they're literally the founding document, which was published in the early 1920s, you see a blueprint for a socialist economy, a socialist way of life, a government top-run um, system, a utopian system where they're going to move the, the nation and the people into this new era with this new kind of man and all these other sort of socialistic agendas. Do, am, I, am I right about that? Um, let's speak a little bit about this topic. I think uh, the, what, what happened there with the killing of six million Jews, one of the worst things happened ever in history, and Hitler was... Uh, he hated Jewish people, but he hated also capitalism. And both was linked in his ideology. He made Jewish people responsible for two things that he hated. For communism, 
on the one hand and for capitalism on the other hand. So this was what he believed in. And what, what was his uh, aims? What were his economic ideas? He didn't want uh, socialism exactly in the way as they had it in Soviet Union because he was skeptical about nationalization of, of everything because he was a social Darwinist and he believed in competition like this. And so he was in his first years skeptical towards nationalization. But he was never uh, an adherent of free market. What, he, what his philosophy was, he said, the state should command and tell the companies what to do. He said it in some of his speeches. He said, we will tell the companies, the entrepreneurs, do this and this and that. And if they do it this way, as we tell them, we are fine. Then we don't have to do it. If they don't do it, we will do it by ourselves. And even to nationalize it or that the state found that they found a big, huge companies, for example, the so-called Hermann Göring Werke. They had 600,000 people there. The, the state, uh, they, they were state owned. And then during his life, this is sometime, something that I show in my book, he became more and more an admirer of, the, of Joseph Stalin and the system in the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. You see it in his uh, internal conversations, we call it the so-called table talks. This is uh, yes. mm -hmm. in his inner circle. And he said that he admires Stalin and that he has no doubts that in Soviet Union, no one was without jobs as in the United States. And, um, and he said, after when he ha would have win the, won the war, he said, we have gone more and more in the direction of a planned economy and even to nationalize something. So he mm -hmm. became more and more an adherent of a planned economy to start. But what is totally wrong when um, Marxists tell us that Hitler was like a puppet in the hands of capitalists. This was even wrong before he came to power because most capitalists, they didn't uh, support Adolf Hitler. They supported other parties. And um, it was not, you know, he called his party the National Socialist Workers' Party. And mm -hmm. uh, of course, this was another type of socialism as it was in the Soviet Union. But in a way, he saw himself as a socialist and uh, and his enemy was capitalism also left-leaning people they don't want to uh, they don't want to see it but uh, in my book i provide with so many facts i i analyze so many sources of all his speeches his books his internal so there's no doubt about his uh, economic ideas no i mean if you, if you look at his speeches and his public utterances if you replace the word jew with the word you know, millionaire and billionaire, it would almost sound like a speech delivered by Elizabeth Warren. I mean, it's this kind of envy of the success. Um, a lot of it did come from Marx, who wrote the book on the Jewish question, where he talked about eliminating Judaism because Judaism represented self-interest and what's he called huckstering, which is another word for trade. And that uh, in order to create this new socialist order, we had to remove those institutions. And uh, I also think that he drew inspiration from Mussolini and Italian fascism, which was kind of like what 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 Mussolini himself called the third way. And uh, and by the way, the Clintons used that phrase in their day. But but it was uh, you know that that you'd have Bolshevism and capitalism merging to create this situation where the government would form a partnership with certain select businesses and corporations that would have monopoly power and that would eliminate competition. And that uh, literally in the case of Mussolini, instead of having a Congress or, or a uh, parliament, he had a council of corporations that would work with him hand in glove to run that country. And I think that the Nazis had some hybrid elements of that in that there were certain corporations that were select that were cooperating with the government and that had monopoly control over their particular area at the expense of competition, at the expense of smaller and mid-sized companies. Yes, and if you if you analyze uh, Hitler's worldview, you see he speaks always about primacy of politics. So this is what he believed in. 
politicians are in the end, of course, he himself should decide every, everything. And uh, this is absolutely the contrary of democracy and also a free market economy mm -hmm. where you have different powers, but he wanted all power in himself. So if, if you read in this book, you will see that um, he really he was an anti-capitalist. And I think this is important to understand it because it's not so easy to call him a right winger in this way. Of course, right. I, I, I wouldn't call him left in the traditional way. He, he said himself he wanted to create an extreme against the other extremes, but he admired people who came from the far left. And today we knew, we know in his early days, he was also more left-leaning and he admired he people who came yeah. from, from the left because he thought these communists and left people, they are strong, they are powerful, they are brave. And for the bourgeois, he said, he, he thought they are this, they are cowards. They, 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 are, they are not really fighters, and so right. and they're weak. Yes, they, they are weak. In in this, they, they are weak. And this was, you know, it's social Darwinistic worldview between the weak and the strong. And he he that we should win the workers, especially former communists or social democrats, because they are the strong and uh, forget about the bourgeois, they, they, these are weak people. Well, even in Mein Kampf, Hitler acknowledges that his formative years, when he was a sort of a bohemian street bum living in Vienna, he uh, spent a whole year immersing himself in Marxism. And it says that right in Mein Kampf. Uh, there's always been rumors that the reason why he didn't rise up in the German army during World War I, where he actually was very heroic as a fighter, was because he was a communist and that the uh, his superiors didn't want to give him an increase. And that uh, right after he became prime minister during the, the so-called, uh, you know, Night of the Thousand Knives, which he did at the behest of Mussolini to get rid of his enemies, there was evidence that he might have gotten rid of, of records and of people who knew about that background. So, you know, it's it's you know we we dismiss this possibility, and you you say that he moved further to the left during the war when he became more openly pro pro uh, Stalin. The fact is that the Hitler and Stalin had a pact. That's what started World War II. They divvied up Poland. They split it down the middle, with uh, Hitler taking the uh, the Western piece and Stalin the Eastern piece, and. Uh, and then he double-crossed Stalin, of course, with Operation Barbarossa two years later. But, you know, the alliance was there. And, of course, after the double-cross, when Hitler, when the Nazis invaded Russia, that's when Stalin started this campaign of propaganda, saying that all of a sudden Hitler was on the right and that uh, anyone who supported him was on the right because their, their alliance had fallen apart. But in fact, he was seen as, quote, progressive and and had been that up until that point. Not communist, but certainly, you know, a man of the left. And the, the movement was certainly not, uh, you know, what we in America would view as a, uh, you know, a, as a as a even as a liberal movement in this country. It was much further to the left in its authoritarian nature. Wouldn't you say? Yes, um, I I, th I think you can, uh, I, I wouldn't call them uh, left in this way, but he had a lot of left elements, especially this anti-capitalism. This is very important. And so I think anti-capitalism is very dangerous. And it's not only anti-capitalism, this is not only something that uh, traditional left-leading people believe in. We have a lot of people who believe in, especially also we have intellectuals who believe in anti-capitalism. This is mm -hmm. an ideology, and maybe let's come back to the other book, In Defense of Capitalism. It I refute there all the arguments of anti-capitalism. And let's maybe, maybe only to come to, to one or two of the arguments. One, one argument against capitalism, they tell you always, capitalism creates monopolies. This is one of their arguments. Like today, Google or Emerson or Facebook. Is correct, capitalism creates monopolies, but capitalism destroys monopolies. And I showed in the book, most of the monopolies were not destroyed by antitrust politics or something like this, but they were destroyed by competition, by entrepreneurship, by capitalism. I give you some examples. For example, um, there was a headline, 
I have it in my book in 2007 in The Guardian, will MySpace ever lose its monopolies? If I show to young people today, they don't know what MySpace is because right. later came Facebook, but there was a big headline, will MySpace ever lose its monopoly? The same year was a big headline, front page of Forbes, who can ever catch the cell phone king? It was Nokia. So yes. was Nokia called the monopoly. Who can ever catch it? Who has Nokia phone uh, today? At this time, they sounded, they, they seemed so powerful. They, they seemed so powerful as today, maybe Google or, or, or Emerson or Facebook, or let's speak about Xerox, for example, for photocopies. That 95% market share, 95%, we call this Xerox thing, I think, in the United States. Today, it's less than 2%. Or think about Kodak. They had 85% market share in the United States. They were destroyed also by innovation, by, by capitalism. And so you have a lot of examples. The only monopoly that is hard to get rid of is the state monopoly. And this is what I don't understand with capitalism. With, with anti-capitalists, in one moment they tell you, "Ah, I'm against monopolies," and half hour later they tell you, "I'm pro-nationalization of companies." So, but this is a monopoly. This is the worst monopoly, the state monopoly. And monopolies usually are destroyed by capitalism. And you don't need any antitrust laws or things like this. No, what you need is give freedom for the market, for capitalism. Innovation will destroy all monopolies sooner or later. Lenin wrote one of his most famous books more than 100 years ago about imperialism as the last stage of capitalism. And he spoke about monopolies at this time. No one of these monopolies was uh, there 50 years later or even 20, year, 20 years later. This is one example where they are absolutely, uh, absolutely wrong. And, and there are a lot of other things, for example, they, they claim every day that or the, the most important belief from anti-capitalists is what I call zero-sum thinking. This means they believe that the rich became only rich because they have taken away from the poor. This is what they believe. I call it zero-sum thinking. And I show in my book why it's wrong. I, well, I'm glad you do because that's, that's, a, that's one of these conspiracy theories that somehow someone's success was because they exploited someone else. They didn't no, do but, it. But, 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 but you, you can see very easy that it's not true because, okay. uh, because the, the, the percentage of people living in poverty in 1980 was more than 40% today, it's less than 10%. I mentioned this before. But the number of billionaires increased from 2000 to now from 500 to 2800 or what I told about China where the number of people living in poverty decreased from 88 to 1% and the number of billionaires increased dramatically. Today you have as many billionaires in China as we have in the United States. But how is it possible if zero-sum thinking is uh, uh, someone who will tell me he's not able to think logical because mm. where do they have it from when the poor people became uh, became wealthier at this time? So zero-sum thinking is the core ideology of anti-capitalist and this is totally wrong capitalism in capitalism how people how become people wealthy in capitalism look for chef bezos for example from from uh, emerson or look larry page or Sergey prin uh, google mm -hmm. or bill gates they became successful because they created products that we all buy and who made who made them rich we all Capitalism is democracy. It's pure democracy because consumer decides every day he will be rich, he will get broken. It's the consumer's choice every day. If we use Amazon, if we use Google, if we use Microsoft, we make this, we make this guy rich. If we stop using it, we make them, uh, they, are, they will be no longer rich. And uh, take uh, other example, the founders of Microsoft, uh, not, not of Microsoft, of um, WhatsApp, Together, they have now eight, $18 billion. But how much did they do for the whole world today? Two, two billion people all over the world can send not only their te text messages, but have their telephone calls for free because of this invitation. So uh, this is the way how they became rich, because they, they created things that were useful for a lot of people. And this should be hacked that teachers should tell 
at school, but they don't do it. This is the problem. They tell about the problems or the evil of capitalism, but not about these facts. Right, that's right. I mean, and they also are tearing down much of the uh, the great accomplishments of, of a capitalist system like the United States um, and blaming some of the social problems, which actually could be more solvable within a capitalist context on capitalism. So they shift the blame. But also, you know, we're reaching toward the end. I just want to ask you one more thing, because you've written about Vietnam. We've talked about China. China has opened up their economy. They are more capitalistic. But at the same time, aren't they still controlling the show in terms of the Communist Party there that still, like, for example, didn't they make uh, somebody disappear recently who was one of the nation's top capitalist leaders? I mean, they're still like, you know, it's kind of an, it's in a way, it's sort of like Mussolini and, and Hitler. I mean, you've got free market companies, but yet aren't they sort of quasi-public as well? and still controlled by the government? The problem, <clears throat> the problem in China is they became successful, as I mentioned before, because the politics of Deng Xiaoping, because he introduced private property and more market. In the last years, they go in the other direction. This is the big problem, that they go in the other direction, that they go back to more state. And uh, in Vietnam, not. I don't see it right now. Hopefully, it will not happen. I don't see it. Of, of course, they have this party. They call themselves communists or socialists, but I don't believe that they that they are really communists or socialists. But in China, right. you have this development, and it's not only in China. This is the big problem that it's everywhere, almost everywhere in the world. We spoke about Germany, Europe. We spoke about the United States. We spoke about Latin America. We spoke about China, and this is the reason why I published this book not only in Germany, not only in the United States, where I published in 30 countries, and I promised to go to all these countries to speak about capitalism, because there are not enough people to defend capitalism. This is a problem today. Well, you know something, you're doing it well, and you have enthusiasm, and I think you're knocking it out of the park in terms of bringing your message to people, particularly younger people. My guest, Rainer Zittelman, he is the author of The Power of Capitalism, Hitler's National Socialism. Uh, Rainer, um, I want you to let my viewers and listeners know where they can get your excellent books. Do you want to share a website or, or talk about upcoming events? Uh, thank you for this. First, don't forget to mention my new book with the title In Defense of Capitalism. And it's very easy. You, you can order it uh, on Amazon. You can order at uh, Barnes & Noble. It will be published on 7th of March. But if you go now on the internet, if you give it this, the power, um, the In Defense of Capitalism or my name, Rainer Seidemann, you will find it on Amazon and you will find and hopefully you order not only one book, please order 10 to give it all to your friends, to your pro-market friends, to spread the message that capitalism that made such a great country from the United States, don't forget it, that the United States became the, the greatest country ever. This was because of capitalism. So don't forget it. So And so spread the message. So excuse me, my term accent. I no. hope you can follow my arguments. But I can guarantee you, my book is translated by a professional native-speaking translator. You, you can find no German accent in this book. Well, listen, wonderful. And I hope that people buy it and drop a few copies at their college in the United States. That's where a good place to start. Uh, Dr. Zedelman, I want to thank you for joining me today. Great pleasure talking with you, sir. Let's uh, do it again sometime. Thank you very much, sir. Charles, I appreciate it. Hope to see you again. You bet. Thank you. Okay, so that is a Dr. Rainer Zietelman, Capitalism, The Power of Capitalism and Hitler's National Socialism. Um, I don't know if we have time for a quick call here, but I'll give out the number if you want to join us. We have a few more minutes. 617-396-4958. 617-396-4958. I'm up on TECN-TV, the Exceptional Conservative Network, and I want to thank those guys for carrying the show. We're also apparently going to be up on the NNN network. I'll be getting into details uh, with regard to that development. That should be uh, as soon as next week, but certainly the week after. And uh, so I'm looking forward to that as well. 
Um, and while I'm here, I might as well mention that the program is sponsored by my books, by yours truly, Charles Moskowitz. You can get my books by going to either Amazon Books or Barnes & Noble Books, putting my name in the server, and up they come. I'm the author of about 20 books. My most recent is The Populist Wave. Check it out. It's a great way to support my work here and this program. Right now, I'm working on a new manuscript. I'm writing a book about Judaism. It's really been very interesting. I'm doing a deep dive into what Judaism is and what it believes and what our enemies say about us. And uh, it's very enlightening, very interesting. Um, so next week, I have a bunch of guests coming up. Uh, so you might want to stay tuned for that as well. The program broadcasts live Monday through Friday, 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And um, I don't know, what can I say in the final minutes here? 617-396-4958 um, come on down. You know, I am really finding ways, frankly, to do an end run around the uh, the censorship at YouTube and um, at TikTok, where I had big shows at one point. I mean, at TikTok, I had almost 100,000 followers when they took me off. And the reason they were taking me off was not because, frankly, I had violated any community standards, because I know what community standards are. You know, I have been off and on a radio talk show host in the greater Boston area where I live. I live in the city of Boston, but in the greater area for the past 20 years. And I have always, I never had a problem with the, uh, with the FCC, Federal Communications Commission. I always observed the, the rules of radio, never had an issue in that regard. And I know what community standards are. Didn't mean I didn't push the envelope once in a while, but in terms of opinion, but I always observed the rules. So what's going on at places like YouTube and places like TikTok and other and, and Google generally is not the violation of community standards. When you talk about things like you read statistics coming out of the VAERS website, which was set up by OSHA, the US government back in the eighties as a means to monitor uh, vaccine uh, results and, and reactions, that you get censored for that. It's not me talking. I'm not a doctor. I was reading the government's own website, and I ended up getting a strike on YouTube for that. And then, of course, the other no-no is discussing the 2020 election. You can go on for hours, and, and there were indeed were hundreds of thousands of hours of talk about this cockamamie conspiracy theory that Putin of Russia colluded with Trump <clears throat> to steal the 2016 election. You know, you had uh, this guy Schiff, this uh, representative, he's now running for the Senate in California, Adam Schiff, go around doing hundreds of hours of television, showing his fat face constantly saying, I have in my hip pocket evidence that Putin colluded with Trump to steal the election. He never showed it. He never pulled it out of his pocket. No one's calling him on that. He has to pull it. He has to show that. Those are very serious accusations. And uh, you need to have evidence before you make them. But anyway, the point I'm making is that was never banned from YouTube. That was okay. So that shows their political orientation. And so I'm proud to say that I'm working with Rumble and Getter and all these other sites. And of course, the good people over at TECN TV and now NNN to, uh, to do an end run around the censorship and to basically engage in the great American tradition of, of, of sharing opinions and conducting dialogue, a, a tradition that goes back to the days in Boston of uh, standing in the Boston Common on a soapbox and delivering a speech. Anyways, that's what makes America great. And I intend to continue 
to forge on in, in my efforts to do that. So again, I want to uh, thank, uh, uh, I want to thank uh, my guest, uh, Rainer Zittelman and his books, The Power of Capitalism and Hitler's National Socialism, available at Amazon and Barnes and Noble and everywhere else. I admire his work and what he's doing. And thank God um, I was able to have him on. I want to, you know, thank, I just want to thank everyone for listening today and uh, check out the show Monday through Friday, 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. God bless you all. God bless America. Have a great afternoon, everybody.